Good evening and welcome to the EdTech Situation Room for Wednesday, January 11th, 2017. We'd like to welcome our viewers across the United States and around the world. You are listening to what is surely the best way to spend an hour of your time catching up on the week's technology news through an educational lens. I am Wes Fryer, the Director of Technology at Cassidy School here in Oklahoma City, where we are awaiting another ICE Armageddon. And we've got three of us on here tonight, so I will throw it up north to Eric Langhorst first to introduce himself. Right, Eric Langhorst, I teach uh, eighth grade U.S. history, technology, and broadcasting at Discovery Middle School just outside of Kansas City, where it was literally 67 degrees at about 2 o'clock today, and by 5 o'clock it was 33 degrees. So wow. it dropped like 30 degrees in about three hours today, so... And if, if, if you can help us understand the schizophrenic, uh, bipolar, whatever you want to call it, weather, you know, we watched that movie, uh, oh gosh, and well, I should know the name of it. It was the one where they, it was climate change and the ocean currents, you know, and yeah, anyway, it was, it was extreme Hollywood, but it's also been a little bit weird to have that same kind of swing. So we're also joined by the man with the largest microphone in North America. Welcome, Jason. Good evening. Um, well, first and foremost, complaining about the weather, there is like three feet of snow on the ground here in Missoula, and we got another four or five inches last night. Um, I will say the negative uh, or the, the below zero temperatures have, have left us temporarily, although the forecast does hold um, negative 14 for it's either tomorrow night or Friday night. But um, good evening. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located on the University of Montana campus in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And I'm also the tech-savvy administrator in residence for the Northwest Council for Computer Education. And I guess apparently I'm best known for just having a huge mic. So here it is. Um, and uh, I give a shout-out this uh, this week to my other Pacific Northwest friends. For the first time, according to Facebook, you're getting actual snow you can panic about. I always make fun of my friends in Seattle and Portland and in Northern California because three, you know, three flakes appear and it's, you know, the sky is falling, everything is horrible. And I saw a picture tonight of a friend of mine that I grew up with in Montana. He lives in suburban Portland and he legitimately had like a foot of snow in his driveway that he was trying to uh, shovel his way through. So apparently um, a legitimate snowmageddon is making its way throughout the Pacific Northwest. Well, I did hear on NPR today driving home that for the first time in years, the snowpack in California and the Sierras is above average. And nice. so that, you know, is nice for droughts and things like that. So uh, for those of you that may be new to the show or just as a reminder, we invite you to visit our show notes, which you can find at edtechsr.com slash links. Normally we are here on Wednesday nights and I see that we do have a live viewer. I don't have my link open yet to the live chat, but there is a chat room, which we will finagle our way into uh, getting. I've actually figured out with the pop-up chat, I'll put it into our Google uh, Hangout chat. I've figured out how to kind of put it on the side of the hangout. Um, so anyway, we love interacting with folks that can join us live. And uh, today, I think we're going to be talking more CES, uh, along with, I'm sure, the the requisite discussion of, of AI security and some of our, our other themes. But I want to uh, toss this one to Eric first. Uh, this was the 10-year anniversary of the Steve Jobs keynote. Yes, I am wearing my Macworld San Francisco 2007 shirt today. Uh, although my daughter said I really needed to fix my hair better because I didn't look like I was quite web show worthy. Um, 
interesting what uh, you know young teenagers and kids will say about web shows. I know Eric's family is quite impressed that he's on a show tonight. Eric, what was your yeah? What, what was your life like before the iPhone? Uh, and I know you're an Android guy, but just the whole smartphone revolution. And, and what are some of your earliest you know memories of smartphones or hearing about the iPhone, anything like that? Um, I think well, my dad had a bag phone with you know the whole bag and strap, so. That was kind of cool, and then I think my first phone. That's a quote. That's a show, that's a show title right there. My dad had a bag phone. Um, I think my first actual phone was a Nokia that I got in probably about ninety seven or ninety eight, um, and I've been I've never had an iPhone. Um, I've always been kind of like on the Android side, I guess. I have a, a Nexus six right now, which um, it seemed huge like for a day, but it's really I guess just become part of my life. But I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys this. I love to keep my um, old cell phones um, just as kind of like my own kind of like personal museum of technology. Um, I know there's things you can donate them to and they'll recycle them or um, things like that. But do you guys keep your old phones or do you trade them in or just like pass them down to your kids or what, what do you, I'm curious what you guys do with your devices when you get new ones. Jason, what do you guys, what do you all do? Well, um, I, I've handed them down to nieces before. Um, that's where our technology pathway goes in our home. And my last three phones have remained in the home as, uh, devices for other means. Um, I've always felt that, that there is that, you know, you probably can, can get four or five years of life out of a cell phone, um, both in the context of, um, uh, you know, operating system updates and also you know, the technology, you know, if you're buying, um, you know, mid range to, to high end phones on either the Android or Apple side could, you know, serve other purposes later. Um, and so, you know, usually they, they will serve some other purpose for me for a while. Um, I'm, um, I'm going to talk about this later tonight in our Geeks of the Week, but, um, I'm a recent convert, as in like seven days ago to T-Mobile. I've abandoned Verizon for good after a, um, I, I was a, a Nexus 6 user and I was, uh, I, I purchased on Black Friday the, uh, Pixel XL phone, really excited about the Pixel XL phone, and after the fourth delay from Verizon, and um, also because they moved me off of subsidized phones without you know uh, asking me or telling me about that, I decided to move to T-Mobile. And um, what I like about that is that I can now take a SIM card, which I was not able to do on Verizon, and move them to in any sort of device. And so I jump around phones a lot. And so um, I, I think it's just the challenge of new stuff that I like. But right now I'm using an Amazon uh, Prime phone. It's a... Um, uh, a G4, uh, Motorola uh, G4 phone, which is really, really great um, uh, uh, Android phone. But, um, yeah, I think keeping them um, uh, makes sense for me. We have sold a few on eBay, uh, you know, actually uh, getting I, – I think I learned you don't need to mess with your own photos trying to get that right with shadows and everything. Just grab a picture of your same model and throw it on there. Um, but we've had we, – we've sold a few that have been successful. Actually, we've needed to, and then there have been some other people that have come into our lives who are like, oh, we need a phone. And so <clears throat> we, um, we had this discussion actually over the holiday because our son is in college and – you know, we've tended to upgrade, uh, because we have five of us. So, you know, if dad being, being the tech geek and, and, uh, the selfish one, I guess is usually the first one to upgrade. Anyway, we haven't, we haven't upgraded to the seven yet, but we've been having that, those discussions and, uh, we probably, you know, I've looked at Gazelle and those other things as far as, as resale, but, uh, do you, do your girls, I know they're younger, Eric, do they have their own phones yet? Um, 
Okay, well, uh, our nine-year-old does not. Our thirteen-year-old does, and um, I'm just gonna be honest. She's not. She's not like a phone user. We have to get on her about charging it, taking it with her. Um, she just is not. She likes to do other things on the computer, but she's not a phone person. So, and um, it's not like a, you know, super smartphone thing. She can text and all that kind of stuff on it, but um, she just hasn't really had a desire to kind of move into that realm. So. So, yeah, so I just kind of, I mean, I've got like my old Blackberry and, you know, all my old phones and they're just kind of there. And I just like, I like, I collect old cameras and stuff like that. So I got my original iPhone, my original iPod, you know, I've got Shelly's original MacBook and uh, take some flack for keeping that in the garage, you know, kind of constantly. But I'm like, yeah, uh, whatever. We can have a museum someday. We had a professor at Texas Tech like that. He was ready to open his own museum. So, hey, look at that. Marta is here. I'm thinking from Tegucigalpa, right? I was I was uh, telling Eric we sometimes have a, an international guest. So she's a Samsung user. Well, we are going to talk a little bit about CES and that kind of stuff. Um, I want to just give a shout out to this podcast that I, I discovered today through the, the – uh, you know, black hole of different links that, that can lead one, one place to another. Um, the actual podcast is called Connected and it's on Relay FM. One of my favorite podcasts has been, um, the Clockwise podcast and, uh, Relay FM is, is a nice podcast, um, network. And, you know, these guys are, are younger than we are. Um, some of them are in their, I think, mid twenties. You know, they were talking about how just they they couldn't imagine life 10 years ago, you know, before uh, a map app and before, you know, being able to, um, you know, have the podcast on your phone and just the, the revolution that smartphones have had. And they were talking about travel. Um, and right before uh, Jason got on, uh, Eric mentioned that we, we need to get you to tell some more travel stories uh, since they're fresh, fresh on your mind. And uh, in our in our last show, uh you know, I, I think we could probably have an entire, you know, Jason tells of London and Paris, uh, and, and and dribbles in some technology uh, uh, goodness um, throughout. But you know, I've I I totally am amazed thinking about the last ten years and how huge the iPhone and smartphones have been in my life. Uh, how it's uh, it has absolutely become a part of me. And while I do enjoy disconnect and in the summertime, that's been, you know, something, in, well, I say just the summertime. It is, it's important at other times too, but that's the, the longest extended period of time has been, you know, when we've camped and things, you know, we've, we've mentioned this on the show before. We're kind of becoming androids. We're, we're merging with our technology and uh, overall it's, it, it's a, a pretty good relationship, but um, it's, uh, you know, 10 years of, of change. And if, uh, if uh, Sergey Pichai is to be believed from Google, uh, we're now leaving the era of the, the, mo- the mobile smartphone, you know, dominated transformation of society. And we're on the cusp of the artificial intelligence transformation of society, which mobile will still be really big in, but artificial intelligence will be the real big change agent. So Jason, you want to pick out an article or, or, or do you want to add to that before we jump into an article? Go ahead. Sure. And I, I also added a link in um, to this week's show notes. And again, at techsr.com, the, the thing I shared was uh, 11 people that, uh, that, that hated and naysayed about the first iPhone or the iPhone release in 2007. And I have to say, I did not have a smartphone until 2010 because frankly, um, the iPhone was not available in Montana until 2010. There were many, 
many countries that were, the, you know, in the, the, the developing world that had the iPhone well before the state of Montana did. And finally, um, they, when they made it available on Verizon, I was able to pick it up in 2010. Before then, I was a BlackBerry user. Um, the point being that, um, it's, uh, is a, the smartphone's a revolutionary device. And for, you know, years and years and years before the iPhone was released, Touchscreen devices had been tried by a number of, of vendors. Um, portable phones that, that had smart qualities to them have been tried by a number of vendors. Obviously, GPS devices were something that were starting to take off in the marketplace, but it was Apple's vision to, um, you may remember the original keynote and uh, Steve Jobs making the joke that it's three devices in one, and it's an internet communicator, it's a smartphone um, and it's a, uh, uh, an iPod and, you know, he kept repeating those phrases and he says, are you getting it yet? It's one magical device. And, um, you know, Time Magazine had deemed it the Jesus phone, um, you know, the, the week before it was launched, <laughs> um, you know, and it really, that. it really did turn into, you know, a cultural phenomenon and, you know, now, um, um, it, it took a little while for it to invade, um, you know, the, the masses, but, you know, uh, according to Pew's, uh, internet life studies that, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90% of, of people in different age brackets now, um, are smartphone users. And it, it, it really is the computer in your pocket that I think nerdy folks, um, you know, like the, the, the three folks joining you tonight on the podcast. I mean, we had been looking for this for years and warning about this for years and, and looking forward to this for years. And mm-hmm. smartphone really, really did that, uh, for, for the world. Well, I want to throw this question to, to Eric first. How, how are you as a teacher dealing with the smartphone generation? Um, this is interesting. We're all in <clears throat> different roles now in education. What, what do you do and what are your sort of norms uh, for kids when it comes to phones? Uh, to be honest, I don't have a lot of issues with it. I allow if they have their phone out. If, I mean, if the only time I have a problem with it is if I can, you know, just totally tell they're just trying to text somebody or whatever. But, I mean, I have a pretty open policy in my own classroom that they can have their phones out. You know, sometimes students will listen to music. I don't have a problem with students listening to music if they're working on something, you know, independently. Um, they'll use their phones for that. Um, so I personally have a pretty open policy. Our building overall has a pretty open policy, but it is up to each individual teacher on how they want to do that. But we do not have, I don't know of any teacher in our building that has like a, you know, a basket that you put your phones in at the beginning of the period or anything like that. So, um, you know, we, we have a pretty open policy and my, my kids, I'm always amazed, you know, they'll take pictures of, you know, um, you know, something that I've written up on the board if they want to capture it and, you know, then have it for later. I mean, I do find that they use it for instructional purposes, um, quite a bit as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I let them, let them use it. I will add one thing on the phone. I think that photography for me has been probably the hugest thing, um, I love photography. I do a little kind of like amateur photography stuff that I sell. I sell a lot of prints that I take with my cell phone. Um, and I blow them up, frame them. I mean, I've kind of had a little side business and most of the pictures that I sell are from my cell phone and people don't believe it when I tell them. Um, but I mean, it is, it's an amazing, it's an amazing camera and to have it in your pocket constantly has changed completely how I take pictures and, how I record things. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Oops. Oops. Well, and I'll add to that the oops. So, suddenly, oh, huh, okay, but it stopped. That was weird. We had testing, 
a minute of echo and then it was gone. Um, well, and here's a statistic. Um, this comes from um, mylio.com. There will be 14 trillion photos taken this year. The, the, the vast majority are on cell phones. And one of the ways I, I try to put this in perspective for, and this would be for pre-service teachers that I've worked with at the University of Montana in context of my doctoral work there, is that um, the, the, the moment I like to imagine is if an event as 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 dramatic and as terrible as 9-11 happened in 2017 instead of 2001. And I was a classroom teacher on September 11, 2001. That day will forever be in my mind because of having to shepherd through 150 kids through a very confusing and, and challenging day. But one of the things that always I, I think about is the fact that I mean, we have thousands of photographs from that day. Um, you know, there were um, you know lots of images taken. But imagine for a moment if... Everyone around the World Trade Center that day had a cell phone as opposed to, um, you know, the, the relatively minor number of cameras that I'm sure were available on that day. And we've, we've changed very dramatically, um, the availability of video and, 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 and pictures. And, you know, in 2017, the pictures are a stunning quality. In 2007, the original iPhone camera was, was, you know, as bad as other cell phone cameras of its, of its time in class. But in 2017, there, there, I mean, we have an abundance of, of ability to record what's going on around us. There's a very funny and um, um, somewhat uh, naughty Onion article a couple of years ago about uh, the the joke was there was a a fire in a dormitory in in a university and. Um, you know, police were impressed that, you know, that, that, uh, students immediately tweeted out that there was a fire and, you know, there was 149 calls to 911 and they were able to reconstruct what happened at the party to start the fire from 39 different angles. And they showed a picture of some guy showing off his falcon tattoo and there's a cigarette dropping behind him and they showed it from 19 different angles. And I, and I think that's pretty funny from the standpoint of, you know, for, for silliness, yes, but we really do have those abilities today. Everyone, it can be a photographer everyone can shoot video everyone can be a witness to something that's going on and i know that's something that's near and dear to you wes but um you know that i think that's something that's really important um that that has happened in the era of the smartphone and then very very specifically the iphone and i'll mention from a surveillance standpoint i think today uh i don't know if i had this article in here there was a there was an article that i had tweeted this week about um you know, AI and the people side and how we still have people sort of working in sweatshops. Not really, but well, but it, it's a little bit analogous to that. Uh, taking care of like, you know, content cleanup on the web and AI hasn't fully matured to the point where uh, algorithms are, are doing all of this. You know, there are there's low wage workers that are doing a bunch of these things. But the surveillance state and the surveillance that we have, I think we're in a, an era where thinking about piecing together an event, we are, are able to do some of that, think Boston Marathon, you know, kind of after the fact, but we are rapidly advancing to the point where, you know, because of ubiquity in, in surveillance cameras, um, there's going to be a lot of things that that security forces and police and things like that will be able to do. Um, there was a really good uh, article a few months ago about the border with Mexico and where they were putting drones, you know, 24 seven over the areas. <clears throat> and so they were able to, if there was a drive by shooting, go in and reconstruct exactly where that car, I think this is Juarez had come from and then where it went to afterwards. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
it was positive, but it was also interesting because they were talking about how that sort of thing probably would get an outcry in the United States if it was north of the border. And so we see, you know, some of these uses of technology like that happening in other countries. Uh, but it's, it's coming to us as well. So there's definitely a mixed bag. Um, I, I am a, a, a huge lover of, of photography and always have been. And I've, I've wondered if I'm ever going to go back to the, to the SLR because back in the day, you know, with film camera, we, that was one of the things my wife, uh, Santa got for to our two girls were some of these new Polaroids and, what well, I think it only has 10 pictures. And so, and one of them went through those pretty quick. And the other one was like, How, why'd you do that so quick? And she'd been a little bit more, more diligent. And so anyway, interesting about what we've had experiences with and what kids today haven't had experiences with. And, um, you know, the whole idea of, of, uh, yeah, there was a day when you didn't just have unlimited shots that you could, you know, take until your device is filled, which is probably hardly ever going to, hardly ever going to happen. Well, uh, Jason, do you have any preference on where we go first with with the articles? We're usually we're all over the place, so we don't need to, to necessarily go in order. Sure. Well, I guess I think the big story this week was CES. So let's go through and talk about maybe what what came out from that. Um, CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. We talked about it a little bit in last week's episode, and it is, um, you know, really um, where a lot of of uh, Technology, particularly mobile technology, um, is is introduced and, and kind of pitched to the media. Um, and before we get to the specific articles, um, one of the things, and I was trying to find the article I was reading the other day about this and couldn't find it earlier today, but there were a lot of laptops released this year. And Dell um, had, uh, uh, they announced that their XPS 13, which has been their very popular model from the past three years, a very thin MacBook Air-like experience, um, was 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 released at, at CES, um, and the the new version of it uh, is a two-in-one, so it takes kind of the flip concept that Lenovo has made uh, popular and allows you to flip it all the way around and turn it into a tablet-like form factor or use it like as a tent, uh, which is an interesting piece, and it takes a a beautiful piece of technology. The the Dell XPS 13 is a really beautiful laptop. Uh, We have a couple in the office that are, um, you know, very, very uh, nice pieces of hardware for relatively inexpensive, at least from a high-end laptop standpoint. Um, That was really Released. Um, there have been a number of Chromebooks released. Uh, there were a number of new Lenovo Windows machines released. And the reason why that this is interesting is that in the last few years, um, Lenovo, I'm sorry, uh, CES has been dominated more by televisions, uh, mobile devices, tablets. Uh, one year was the year of the e-readers at CES. And laptops have taken um, you know, a, a really, really minor um a stage there, and the fact that they've resurged this year is an interesting notion, especially since, by all you know, sales indications, laptops, um, you know, have have stagnated. Desktop computers have stagnated in favor of mobile um, devices, and so I do think it's really interesting that um, CES did feature so many laptop announcements this year. Well, I've got to say that, in, and I've, if you've been listening to the show, you've, you've heard some of my thinking about this because I've, we've been talking at work about refreshes and, and we don't have to be refreshing this spring, but we probably should. And whether we look at Chromebooks with iPads or we just go ahead and stick with MacBooks, which just have a, a really <clears throat> long ROI. Um, I put links in there to the uh, two Samsungs, basically $450 for the Samsung Chromebook Plus, which has an ARM processor and ships February 5th. And then if you want to step up for $100 more to $550 and get it in March, you can get the Chromebook Pro from Samsung with an Intel processor. 
Um, this is a big bet we've talked about that Apple is not making, which Microsoft is and which, which uh, pretty much the other major manufacturers are making is that people are going to want a hybrid laptop that can, can fold and become a tablet. And I find I have a, a, uh, an iPad Air 2. In fact, I'm using it for my, my show notes here. Um, but I don't, I don't really use it that much now. In fact, as I was looking at iPhone 7s today, Best Buy, I bought a 55 inch, uh, this is for school, a 55 inch, um, LCD TV, $279. Um, we were buying those at just like a little over 400, then 379 and, and $279, 55 inch. So anyway, I'm thinking, I mean, this is my main device, my smartphone, having a larger screen on that has appeal to me as a, my, my vision. I'm starting to do this as I'm reading stuff. Um, and then trying to predict the other, the other layer to this is in addition to seeing the CES announcements, <clears throat> one of the third party vendors that I'm getting quotes from, uh, we, we've liked the Dell Chromebooks and we, we bought about 111 Chrome, uh, Dell 11, uh, Chromebooks with four gigs of RAM. And, uh, you know, we've got like 10, 10 carts of these at our school, not, not all Dells or 10, 10 Chromebook carts overall, but really durable and whatever. Well, the 13 inch is the one I was thinking for our teachers. And this person said Dell's discontinuing, you know, our last time to order that the Dell 13 inch is, uh, this Monday. Now, surely they're coming out with something new that's going to replace that. But, you know, I don't want to order something for, especially if I have some teachers pilot it and get excited and not be able to order more of them. So, man, I'm really in a quandary, uh, wondering about, like we talked last time, predict the future. You know, what, what do we need to, to get? And especially when it comes to how many years we, of an, of an investment, we're going to get into that. You know, today I, I went ahead and got quotes on, on the MacBook, um, uh, pre older MacBook Pro, you know, and, and found out what kind of a, you know, discount, which is not that substantial that we could get on them. So I don't know. Do you have advice, uh, for me, Eric, as far as if you were, if you had the ear of your technology director and they were making a decision about what computers teachers would have for the next five years, what, what would you want put in your hands or advice would you have? I mean, our, all of our teachers have MacBook Airs and then eighth grade through 12th grade has MacBook Airs. We've been that way for, Three years. I mean, we've been really, we've really, I think, had good luck with the MacBook Airs. I mean, it's a powerful device and it's been pretty durable. Um, you know, I, this was, this was the first Mac that I owned, first Mac laptop that I owned. And I mean, I could never go back to something else. Um, we do have a building where our sixth and seventh graders have Chromebooks. My daughters have Chromebooks. Um, I got my wife a Chromebook in like 2011. She's still using it. It was one of the first ones that came out. Um, so, I mean, I've been really happy with the, the MacBook. Um, the Chromebooks do get beat up quite a bit. I mean, I mean, I know we've got a lot of students. So I think sometimes you think about all the times when like something breaks or whatever, but you know, you got to remember that, you know, I might see 150 kids during the day and it might just be two or three kids that, you know, are having an issue. So, I mean, I, if we could, I mean, I think we'd get MacBook Airs for everybody, but it's just obviously not financially possible, but um, I would much rather have students with a Chromebook than have nothing at all. So, what about as a teacher thinking about uh, a Chromebook? Have you tried to go all Chrome yourself at any point? Uh, no, no. I mean, as far as the actual device, yeah, yeah. No, no. Now at home, my wife is Chromebook. And mine is too. Interestingly, she's been yeah. you know last four years Chromebook a hundred percent, along with an iPad. She's did both. So yeah. Now my like my wife is intrigued by touch, and I'm not. 
um, before we had the MacBooks, we had, I think it was a Dell, but you could turn the screen like down and then swivel it and you could use it as a tablet. I think it was a Dell. I can't even remember now. Um, but like, I never used that. I never used the touch aspect of that. And to me, having a touch screen on my laptop device does not seem to appeal to me. Now, if I'm sitting on the couch and I have my iPad mini and I'm like doing some, you know, editing of pictures with filters, what I mean, I like to touch the screen if it's that, but I feel like when I'm on the couch and I have my iPad, I'm in more of like um, consumer mode and not producer mode. Sure. So that's my personal preference. Well, Jason's putting in the chat. He can't wait to try a Chromebook with the, the Android apps. And that is what all of these new announcement uh, Chromebooks are. So what do you think, Jason? If I have the chance, should I, should I try to pilot with some teacher volunteers, uh, some of these hybrid or what is the word for the, you know, touch and the two and ones hybrids? I've heard two and ones. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a multi platform user. Um, tight. I'm a PC de- desktop. Tomorrow at work, I'll go back to my iMac at work. I carry around a Chromebook with me some days, and sometimes I carry around um, older PC hardware, usually castaway, um, professional-level PC hardware. Um, I-, I think all operating systems have something going for them, but I think part of the problem is is that that um, when you're not me, like when you're a standard end user that is beholden to you know budgets and and, and school investment and such, I think it's hard to pick the the right platforms. Um, I'm going to give you an example where the Chromebook could sometimes fail. I think a five, six, or seven hundred dollar Chromebook that has the appropriate amount of RAM in it. And uh, by my by my bias, an Intel chip in it that can handle multitasking fairly decently may be a good two or three year investment. But I think most users that are beyond, um, you know, just day to day minor usage will outgrow that Chromebook platform on a slower Chromebook at some point. And I think that that's that's been the problem with my mind with that platform. I did try to go all Chrome. I did a month when I first bought. A, I bought a, a, a Dell uh, 11 inch Chromebook. I was two years ago, maybe three years ago, um, when my uh, MacBook Air, personally owned MacBook Air 11-inch, had a, or lost a battle with a cup of coffee, and um, that was my my excuse to try Chromebook, and I could get away with it, and part of it was because I sat at a a desktop every day that was pretty awesome, but um, being mobile, I was able to get away with it, but I had to really work hard to find power applications to make it work, and I think for the typical user, um, you know, the the ninety percent of users that 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 we serve in context of schools, they would find the the Chrome platform to be a bit befuddling. So um, I know if you can go cheap MacBooks, the cheaper MacBooks, I guess the greatest part about them is they last for minimum of four or five years before you would really seriously need to consider or force to be replacing. Whereas I think a uh, an inexpensive Chromebook, both by speed and and maybe by durability, won't last as long. So I think there's definitely a, a balance there that that I don't think there's a really clear answer to. Well, Ben Wilkoff is in our chat room and has uh, pointed out that you know. It's early adapter days right now for this two and one, basically, and that you know once all Chromebooks run uh, apps, that that'll be a game changer. But but we're not there yet, and also that touch touch doesn't uh, necessarily equal tablet. Um, so apps are essential, and I may be able to bring him in live. Uh, I think he wants to join, so I will 
uh, direct message you the join link here. Um, one of the other things I put in, there, there was obvious, we mentioned this, I think, last show when we are talking CES, that the the folks that filter through the hundreds or thousands of new announcements and, you know, kind of say, here are the ones that are most significant. I think those are real valuable. And so we've got a, a couple of them, a Wired article from January 7th, uh, best of CES 2017, this year's most interesting gadgets. And then the, the Lifehacker uh, January 6th article, I think Jason put in tech trends from CES that will actually matter. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that Lifehacker article and what they bring out, Jason? I would, yeah. Um, the Lifehacker is really good because it talks about less about individual products and kind of the greater trends. And there are a couple of things that are really interesting to me here. First of all, um, claim number one by Lifehacker is that according to CES releases, Alexa and Google Assistant will start to slowly start infiltrating everything. And the idea here is that the voice interface made popular by the Amazon Echo that's also available now in the Google Home will start to appear in more and more products. And they had a lot of examples of of uh, both gadgets that hook into those two ecosystems and also ones that you know actually have uh, in some cases Alexa built into it some uh, 4k TVs um, Ford cars will have Alexa built into it um, a speaker by Lenovo that's a bit of a more advanced speaker than Amazon offers and the fact that these two platforms are starting to wiggle their fingers into more and more um, um, kind of interesting uh, devices, I think, is, is going to be a, 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 a big um, kind of uh, reverberating um, part of what's announced at CES. And then, of course, lots of new TVs. Um, there were some uh, super high-end TVs announced, but also cheaper 4K televisions are starting to become uh, more and more um, uh, uh, prevalent and also super thin TVs, including a TV by LG that's, that's nicknamed the wallpaper TV because it's so thin. And so I think that's kind of an interesting phenomenon. And then more and more, um, cable cutting devices that allow you to, um, essentially ignore, uh, cable in favor of streaming services were also announced at CES. So obviously trends that, you know, are familiar to, to anyone keeping up with consumer technology, but all interesting pieces. Well, we want to get back to these trends, but uh, give a chance for our impromptu guest who has joined us live a few times, but now he's here from Denver. Hello, Ben. Welcome to the EdTech Situation Room. Hey, everybody. It's really nice to to invite me on. I, I don't know if I'll have anything to add, but uh, it's always nice. I've been watching the last few weeks and, and really enjoying the conversation. So proceed as planned, but if I, if I have an opportunity to weigh in, I'd love to do so. Tell, tell us just briefly your professional hats and where people can find you online. Yeah. So um, I am the program director for blended and personalized learning in Aurora Public Schools. It's a school district of about 54 uh, schools, elementary, middle, high, alternative, all, all kinds of good stuff. Um, and uh, I've also the, um, the, uh, uh, presentations chair for our local ISTE affiliate, uh, Innovative Education Colorado, and we're really excited. We just accepted our sessions and uh, got to see a whole bunch of really great uh, teachers and leaders proposing innovative things that they're doing in their classrooms. So I wear that hat as well. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at BHWilkoff, and then Learning is Change is the blog that I've been uh, writing on for well, I guess it's about 2004, so more than a decade. So, yeah. And I got to ask you a requisite uh, weather question. Was it really as windy in Denver as it looked like it was a couple days ago? Uh, it was it was pretty windy, but uh, it has been 
astonishingly nice. So it was like 59 today and just feeling super good. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, so to segue back to what Jason was talking about as far as trends and with Alexa, uh, I think last show Eric was telling us they've got the, the dot. Is that what am I saying that right? Is it the yeah, Amazon? Yeah, yeah, yep. The hockey, okay. the hockey puck. What's, what's your take and, and is, is your family in on having a device that allows the security state to listen and record your every word? And that's a question for you, Ben. Do you, do you, do you, no, no, yeah. Do you, do you have a, do you have an Alexa or a Google Home or any of that stuff yet? We haven't gone that route yet. Um, to me, it's, uh, it's something that's interesting. Um, but I, I need Apple to get into that game. I need them to apply some pressure. Um, you know, Siri on the Mac is super interesting and been playing around that, uh, with that for a little bit. Um, but I gotta say, until, there is more competition there. I think it's it's going to be a lot of sort of toys and, and playing around. Um, and essentially, I I think that uh, Apple's approach to security right now is probably the strongest out of the the three or four big companies. And so I want to see how they handle the problem of essentially crowdsourcing all these voices to answer questions uh, in the home without compromising. Um, and so, you know, to me, there, there is something really compelling about it, uh, especially when you have multiple devices in the house that are all networked together. Um, but I, I don't know that, uh, that it, that Amazon or Google has really figured it out yet. I think they're just in such early stages. It's early days. And, you know, like we started the show talking about 10 years ago, iPhone, you know, San Francisco, my, my cousin, Devin Henley, who uh, has worked for years and still does remotely for a, a print shop in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, he and I flew out to San Francisco. Uh, I was working for AT&T at the time. And it just uh, just so happened that was when Steve announced the iPhone. <clears throat> I remember we did a little podcast after the keynote from from a coffee shop and, and trying to have a crystal ball and foresee the future there. You know it's big, but you really have no way of knowing how big and 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 the ways in which your life is going to be changed. So hearing folks like the the Google CEO Pachai, you know, talk about it being the new era and that this is going to be the definer. Um, I think we're, we're still in real early days yet. So Peggy mentioned in the chat that she's been on a few webinars where the presenters, you know, had Alexa nearby and, and something, you know, caused it to respond. And I don't know if it was last week where there was a, an article about, you know, somebody ordering, having, having stuff ordered online and, you know, just kind of, kind of weird stuff happening. But I'm really interested in the coding parts of that. And, and when we're able to have agency over the devices. And I think you had said in the chat last week, Ben, you have a friend who was able to generate, you know, local microbrew lists that, you know, were available. Um, being able to, to, to do manipulation of data. And my, my Im- image and metaphor for that is like Dumbledore in <clears throat> the, the sixth uh, book or movie, you know, when they're on in the, the cave and he's directing the flames of fire, you know, being able to do that with information and filtering it and then being able to, to direct it and point at places. That's, it's, it's a skill. So, um, Jason, what else from that article as far as trends and is there any, anything you think will be, a 2017 impact in the classroom or for schools? Well, I mean, I, I think schools, 
no, actually. I, I other than the fact that laptops are becoming, you know, uh, a, a focus again of companies, and that may impact technology available to schools. A lot of this is really consumer focused, you know, as is the name. But you know, I, I do think, and and as we've talked about in the past, I have some some interest in this topic. The the voice activated, the voice interaction is something that you know, may have some interesting impacts in the classroom. But it also becomes, you know, kind of the new distraction for for students and 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 adults alike. And as we've talked in the past, I do have a lot of interest in this topic because I do think that we're not doing a very good job of helping students usher their way through the you know or the disruption, uh, not the positive disruption, but the negative disruption that technology introduces into your life, the ubiquitous information and connection that cell phones, smartphones provide, um, and voice activation, voice interactivity really doesn't help that. In fact, it maybe makes it more complicated. But um, yeah, uh, you know, I I will tell you that if I were a tech tech director right now, if someone came to me and said they wanted to buy a projector for their room, I would say, please go buy the 60-inch television that's $400 that we can hang up in your classroom that doesn't have a bulb that's replaceable. Um, I would probably um, scoff a bit at um, desktop computer purchases. I know labs are still pretty prominent, but there are great industrial laptops available for six and $700 now that would make better purchases. And the fact that, um, you know, those technologies are being both uh, refined and, um, uh, you know, uh, increasingly available in, um, um, uh, you know, both the consumer realm and the enterprise realm, I think is an important piece. Um, one thing that I would like to hear the panel's uh, intake or take on is is Internet of Things is obviously a big part of the CES experience. And a number of the articles talked about that there's more interesting things available, but nothing really revolutionary yet. There are smart toasters. Um, there are refrigerators with, uh, you know, the Windows operating system um, installed on it that can do interesting things, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I still don't think the Internet of Things really has a lot of impact on schools yet. So I'm wondering if anyone has a clever way that they believe the Internet of Things um, might impact schools or education. So uh, I've been really interested in um, something that Steve Dembo has been working on, which is a project hacking uh, the Amazon, uh, I think it's called the Dash, the button. Um, where essentially it's a trigger for any internet service. So he's got the first post in a series where he's having his son track his um, uh, piano uh, rehearsal and, and like practicing. So he presses the button when he starts piano and then he presses it again to stop it and it triggers a, a line in a Google spreadsheet. And so it's a start and stop for each one of those things. And so I see a lot of essentially like um, whether it's voice activated or, or essentially like how are you triggering the Internet to do something on your behalf? Right. So I see like objects that are, are not necessarily doing something locally. They're going out to do something from the Internet and they are coming back with an answer or they're coming back with a, you know, they're so they're triggering. So I, I, I actually think if this then that is probably my favorite source for looking at where the internet of things is going and seeing like, what are the channels that are coming online and seeing, you know, all right, so I can turn on and off lights using this. I can set a different learning space with different lighting or with different environment uh, 
and, and triggering different things um, that a kid might need uh, to change their learning space or, or their learning experience. And so I, I think that at least in my crystal balling of it, like how can a kid make a different choice or a teacher make a different choice and trigger something to happen so that all of the things, I mean, imagine like I push the dash button and everything in my room turns on and I need it to set up for student presentations or I need it to change for, um, you know, a classroom discussion, whatever it is. And then I can do that for, for different purposes. So that's kind of where I see things headed. Um, but I'm really interested to see, because I think Steve is going to try and make it a little bit easier for people to hack those things together, um, whether it's with an Arduino or, or something like that. If you can drop that link in the in the show notes, uh, or we'll put we'll try to put it in, but I'll I'll share that Google Doc yeah, with you then after. We... I'll, I'll do that. Okay. Um, uh, any any Internet of Things thoughts on your part, uh, Eric? Are you uh, you no. guys are doing some co- you're doing coding right? You're still doing a STEM class, or is that stuff that you're just kind of yeah. weaving into the social studies? It's like a hodgepodge of like just tech stuff, but I do show my my eighth grade students um, if this then that and. They're, they're interested in it. I don't really know. I mean, I know the one thing that a lot of them do is like they set up like s- score alerts for like their favorite, you know, football team. And so, I mean, they do a little bit of that. Um, and we kind of talk about how you could use it at home, but I just don't think that it's really got to the point where they, you know, really actually use it probably for, you know, anything at home as far as, you know, automation or things right. like that. Um, we are going to put our, I did not put our nest in yet. Um, but when we, our, when we put our nest in and install that, you know, I think we're going to try and do a little bit more of that type of stuff in our own homes. How did that go, by the way? Did you get the nest in? Yeah, I've not put it up yet. Yeah, I've not put it up yet. So Okay. Well, you're going to have to give us a report on, on how that goes because that's supposed to supposed to be an easy process. But, you know. Yep. What, and, and, what and I've got one, too. I have a Sensei, um, which I can't remember which major manufacturer that's the brand of. Um, but we also have a smart thermometer or, or the smart thermometer or a smart uh, – words escape me the one that controls the heating unit hvac controller thing yeah thermostat thank you Uh, it was one of those fancy science words you can crowdsource Um, on this show yeah i know i know um we we also purchased one as well it was a um, an amazon deal in december and we haven't to be honest we've been too chicken to install it because we would hate for it to it's cold here and so we would hate for it to you know not work on a day and not be around oh come on use your personal home heating i haven't installed it yeah, I don't yeah. want to mess with it when it's like, I mean, it's not 14 below, but I don't want to mess with it on a day yeah. when I'm actually well, the heaters. And that, there's a clear lesson for the classroom, right? We need sandboxes that are lower stakes where we have a chance to play with these things. And it's not like, oh, crap, I just messed up the heating system for my whole home or my school. So, yep, here, here. So, yeah, we're we're in the same boat. So I'm going to just briefly tell y'all that uh, I did a post on uh, January 7th that I titled Digital Literacy Challenge Create an Information Filter Bot. And this was a geeky uh, holiday project where I've been reading a book about uh, universal basic income and I created a Twitter channel called UBI News and I wanted it to populate with not only uh, Google News articles but also things people are tweeting and sharing. And it was an iterative process, especially with hashtags and kind of figuring it out, but using if this, then that that Ben mentioned as well as um, uh, I ended up with Pocket because Flipboard doesn't have a hook into if this, then that, but you can follow a Twitter channel inside Flipboard. And so it was a three-part 
smart kind of app smash uh, in order to create this. And I just talked to our the uh, high school teacher who uh, uh, is our STEM club uh, advisor because there's a Python script. Sometimes there's a dupl- duplicate articles that go in there. And so I found somebody who had written a Python script that takes duplicate articles out of a pocket channel. But I have never messed with Python before. And so I literally just talked to him and then sent that to our computer science uh, faculty member too. And anyway, I'm going to dabble in, in that a little bit or maybe get students to help. But I think that as you guys have talked about the Amazon dot and, and this dash, I didn't even know about the dash. So Ben, please drop that in or, or we'll, we'll drop that in too. <clears throat> I'm thinking that students that are in a makerspace and any, some kind of STEM class, any kind of coding class, you know, if there are some devices that they get to play with, we are seeing this unwrap and unfold before our very eyes, right? So there are going to be connections that they're going to make. And there's a lot of value in, you know, just like using Scratch or some kind of basic programming environment for the student who's making a connection and learning about creating a function and, and algorithms and things like that. I, I see that it, they are parlor tricks, but there's value if you're doing coding in order to make the parlor trick happen. And there's also going to be ways that, that we can actually solve problems and do meaningful things. So I will report back on my Python uh, experiences and whether whether or not we're able to, you know, get these duplicate articles, but it's, I know that I'm, I'm, I enjoy being stretched and, and need different reasons to, you know, sometimes that's a class that I'm teaching or, you know, a presentation that, that I'm giving or something like that. And, uh, this show has also been a good encouragement to me to not only be stretched in my, uh, news awareness and things like that, but, you know, the, the stuff that you guys have been talking about with laptops and, and, and particularly, What's too early adapter, perhaps, to think about making it as an investment for school, especially if we want to get five years return on investment out of? Anyway, that stuff is extremely valuable. So anyone want to propose another article to just talk about briefly? And then I think we probably need to do uh, Geeks of the Week. And if you want to come up with one briefly, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go last, Ben. And if you don't, that's okay. But any other articles anybody wants to talk about? I can do a quick one. Um, Google announced, or Google leaked, I guess. They didn't really want this to happen, that they're going to be updating Google Voice. Um, there have been some users that have seen a notification that an update to Google Voice is happening, um, and which is really amazing news because it's been, it hasn't been abandoned, but it's been, you know, less updated than other platforms. For those of you unaware of the Google Voice a service. Uh, it was actually I can't remember what the original name of Google Voice was, but it was a um, a, a a very interesting tool that seven or eight years ago was released. And the idea behind it was is it creates a phone number that is portable from phone to phone. Google purchased the the property, and it's actually something that um, I utilized for for the first few years. I was uh, the administrator at the Digital Academy because I was not in the office and needed a, a, a phone number that would follow me around. Um, from from area to area, but Google Voice is a phone number, voice.google.com that you get in you know, wherever you'd like the phone number to be, and then it essentially affords the the number to either you on on a, a landline, cell phone, uh, a virtual phone versus Google Hangouts, and it's it's a really great service. Um, it, it it unfortunately is is not advanced as as much as other SMS technologies or phone technologies, but I think it's really great news that Google Voice is uh, still is going to be receiving updates. So for those of you that are either users of it or past users of it, know that apparently it's still being developed by Google and it will continue to be able to provide service. That is awesome. Grand Central. 
Have you, uh, yeah, have you been using it since, since then? Have the Grand Central days been? Uh, no, I I started right after Google bought it and found out about it then, but uh, have been using it. And honestly, it's the work number that I have given out for the last yep. decade. <laughs> Sign of the time. Like, as a teacher, no, no, as ahead, a teacher, like, a long time, we couldn't do uh, long distance calls um, out of our classroom. So I use Google Voice to make any long distance phone call from my classroom and um, stuff like that. So I, I use it from the classroom for a while. Yeah. And I, and I uh, have, I guess I'm still using the Skype out number. Um, I've dabbled with that, but, but uh, you know, Jace. Oh yeah. Shoot. We didn't get you. You got to tell us a quick story. I'm going to tell a couple more articles and you guys tell us a quick story from Europe, Jason, and then we'll do geeks of the week. So um, I wanted to just at least let people know, cause I'm sure I, Marta uh, is running a makerspace in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Um, so Lego announced that they've got a new robotics coding platform called Lego Boost uh, that'll be coming out uh, in August of 2017. And I know from an educational standpoint, and maybe you guys know what this is, I've heard Mitch Resnick or some, some of the MIT Media Lab people, I think, talk about it. There's some kind of a, of a learning theory where when you have a physical manifestation of, of coding and some, an idea, I mean, you kind of probably get that with 3D printing too, but in a different way, not a computational thinking way as much, but maybe it's there too. Anyway, it's a big deal when you are doing a code, some, something with code, and it's not just happening on the screen, but there's this, object, you know, that's actually changing and then you're interacting. I need to find out what that is. Um, but Lego robotics, um, are, are, you know, certainly it's a, it's a business and, and there's that whole side of it, but I thought that was a exciting announcement. And then they did announce the world's largest flash drive, the two terabyte Kingston data traveler, ultimate GT, uh, pricing has not been announced yet, but you know that when the latest flash drive is two terabytes, Yes, the world is continuing to move forward. So uh, I'm sure that's going to be probably more expensive than many of the laptops that, that we've been talking about. Um, so let's do, a, let's do a little story from Jason from uh, the wonderful adventures of, uh, of the knifers in Europe, and then we'll, we'll do Geeks of the Week and wrap up. Um, one of the things I like to think about in terms of travel is how different um, our trip in 2016 was versus when when I first traveled to Europe in 2000. And a huge difference that is technology related is is how how a working cell phone or at least a mobile device that you can up to Wi-Fi really does um, uh, kind of change the way you interact with um, you know the, the world around you. And a good example of that for me is that in 2000 I was carrying around a Lonely Planet Europe on a Shoestring and probably the Lonely Planet Western Europe book. And we did bring travel guides with us um, in, in 2016. We bought old used ones and basically pulled the kind of, uh, you know, the hotel stuff out because we had found a hotel online that we had purchased in a, an Airbnb in, in Paris that we had utilized and just took the kind of sightseeing parts out of it so that, you know, we weren't carrying around hotels. But the other way that that uh, ubiquity of cell phones has kind of changed the way I've traveled, at least, is, is the use of Yelp. And uh, we were able to find restaurants in many of the neighborhoods that we were hanging out in, particularly in London. Paris is a little different because you can stumble into a, you know, a neighborhood cafe and get a, get a pretty solid meal as, as part of the kind of cultural part of, of, of the, the French cafe. But in London, we were able to find a number of great restaurants um, just by yelping them in the neighborhoods we were in. And we had cell phone coverage there because we were, um, we'd bought in local SIM cards in both uh, England and, 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 and France. But um, it really did kind of change the nature of the way we interact 
type of thing. We didn't need to rely on a fairly dated travel guide to find good local restaurants, but instead we could rely on what locals had recommended um, utilizing, um, you know, one of the many recommendation apps. And so, um, you know, it is a bit of a pain to either get service in, 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 in other countries or to you know, buy local SIM cards. I found it to be an adventure because I'm a nerd and, um, you know, kind of enjoyed the challenge of getting internet access on our mobile devices. But if you can do that, um, it does provide a really great perspective. And we had several great meals in both England and France. Um, and that was partially due to the technology we brought with us. Yelp is pretty rocking. It is. It is. In fact, I think I've, I've been writing reviews for Yelp and they've contacted me a few times to be the, the Yelp elite or it's an Oklahoma city elite, but yeah, few things can change your life, like being able to go to an amazing restaurant and yep. it's good to talk to locals and get, get it right from, from a person. But, you know, especially when you're traveling and don't have the opportunity to be able to know where in the middle of nowhere, you know, would be the best choice. So let's do geeks of the week. Uh, why don't we do, uh, Eric, Jason, I'll go and we'll end with Ben. So we'll give him the most time to, to come up with something. See, look at that. He's already got it in the show notes. So he is, he is on it. What's your geek of the week, uh, this week, Eric? All right, so I wanted to share a podcast. Uh, some of you guys may be aware of it already, but it's a new NPR podcast that came out. Um, I believe September was the first um, episode. comes out weekly. It's called How I Built This, and it's essentially the creation story of things that we use. Um, so uh, it's been kind of my podcast that I've been doing lately when I do, like, walking inside and stuff. They're about a half hour, and uh, the one I listened to yesterday was, like, Mark Cuban uh, talking about how he got started with, uh, the internet and his technology and things like that. Um, the Instagram one, I think that one is one of their earlier ones. Um, that's really cool. So I guess as a, like a, a history teacher and a tech person, I love the creation story aspect of things because I like to hear about how they started and, um, you know, reading the book like Hatching Twitter or something like that. But it's a really good podcast. It's NPR. It's high quality. Um, and I just love hearing like the background stories and um, I, listened to the Instagram one recently and they talked about the whole idea that how it was born, like the filter aspect and it happened on vacation and just weird stuff like that. So it's the, how I built this podcast by NPR. Awesome. Jason. As I mentioned earlier, um, I have recently, due to an expansion of their network, moved from Verizon to T-Mobile, and I want to make this less about hating Horizon and more about loving T-Mobile, but um, I'm the kind of initial feeler before my family moves over with me, but um, for, I think it's $75 a month, which would be the highest price I'd pay once I bring more phones over from, from the rest of my family, it will go down per phone, but I have their unlimited data plan, which has unlimited video from commercial services, unlimited audio streaming for commercial services, and I paid a little bit extra every month for their one plus or whatever it is, which gives me free go-go internet um, on the device um, throughout the entire flight. It gives me uh, a what? 4G. Oh, I didn't know about that. I got to check yep, that, that out. That's a new, I think that's a relatively new thing. It gives me free 4G tethering, which means I can give up my hotspot device at work, which was, was very useful, but only had five gigs on it, which, you know, in 2017 is, is not a whole lot. And so I'm able to give that up and, and save that money every month. But it also has um, free roaming to 140 countries around the world. And so next time, instead of, um, you know, paying for a local SIM card and going through that process, as nerdily delightful as that was, 
um, I can just simply turn on my T-Mobile cell phone and get, uh, I think it's 3G data in places on, uh, in our, most of our travel has been thus far in, in Western Europe. Um, and so I can use that, that same plan internationally. So, um, it always pays, I think, to, to look at what your options are. Montana only had Verizon and AT&T until very recently. Um, so it's, it's good to look at your options and know that if you're paying a lot for your cell phone, you may have other options. Awesome. Oh, I'm changing my Geek of the Week from what I've got in the, the, the doc. I will change it. Mine is Fiverr uh, with two oh. R's. And we're living in a, in a freelance world, which has pros and cons. Uh, on the wage side and the employment side, that can be it's sort of a race to the bottom with even technical things with coding. Um, but the quick story is uh, our school uh, has middle school and high school separately sit family style for lunch. And it's a great thing because every two weeks they rotate tables and kids don't have to worry about who they're going to sit with and all the drama. And, you know, for our, our two older kids, that's been a very, it, it always is a challenging thing at cafeteria time. Well, they had an old access script that was running this, which someone we don't even know who, you know, had done. And basically it broke. And so at the beginning of this year, I got on Fiverr and I'll, I'll have to look it up and I'll write a post about this. But I think it was like 15 bucks. Uh, somebody said, I'll write a Google script for you. And so we had them uh, for a, a list of however many rows we had, they would randomly assign, you know, we got like, I don't know, 17 tables or something, and it would generate it all. And what it would do uh, is basically make sure that there weren't more than, I think, nine people at a table, and then it wouldn't assign that anymore. So the twist on this is we didn't have anything checking how many kids of a certain grade were on there. And so sometimes we, we have um, fifth, uh, fifth through eighth grade. And so we need a line of code added to this. I have personally not written any, any scripts for uh, Google Sheets. Um, while we were on this call, the Canadian coder that I worked with before replied, gave me the offer, and I clicked on my phone twice, and I just accepted. I think it was for 30 bucks. He's going to add that code, and that should be done tomorrow. So five Fiverr.com, depending upon your situation at public schools and bidding, you may not be able to use it for school. We're a, an independent private school, and so we don't have all of the same kinds of regulations that public schools do. But on a personal basis, I've used that uh, some a similar service for for web scraping. But I needed to, you know, get some some email addresses. And there, it's a it's a crazy world out there in terms of what you can outsource and for a small amount of money, what you can end up paying somebody to do on a part time basis. However, it could be somebody in you know India, China, Bangladesh. You never know where it's from. Fiverr.com. That was probably too long. Ben, how about you? Um, um, yeah. So I can do. Uh, well, I'll just do them real fast. Uh, so the, you don't have to go that fast. It's okay. The first one is Product Hunt. It is literally where I find all of the new products that I am most interested in. Every single day, there are thirty plus products that are hunted and that are discussed incredibly deeply by startup co-founders and they get really excited about it, but I absolutely love it. And so the other two that I would love to share, um, I found on Product Hunt, um, but it's producthunt.com. So Ferrite for iOS is a multi-track uh, audio editor um, that is uh, amazing and essentially is the only tool that lets podcasting really happen on an iPad, uh, at least of late. Um, and so lots of professional podcasters are starting to use the iPad as a default platform rather than, you know, turning to the Mac or to a PC or something like that. So Ferrite, uh, F-E-R-R-I-T-E. 
And then the last one is Pencil Tree. They are trying to create a uh, a wiki out of video. So interconnected videos um, on different topics where they are linked together um, and you go deeper into the different videos. Um, and that one is penciltree.com. Awesome. Well, this has been fun. It's not only fun to be able to talk with Jason, but great for Eric to join. And Ben, thank you for joining us impromptu. We hope you're, you'll come back. And we always wrap up the show just by kind of going around the horn and, and having everyone say where people can find them online. And also reminding everybody that our show note links are at edtechsr.com slash links. We will also have at the top of our show notes a link to a survey, which we would love for you to fill out to let us know when and where, well, not necessarily when, but where in the world you happen to be. And if you've got any feedback on the show, we do have 32 kilobit download friendly audio versions on edtechsr.com as well as the video version, which uh, we do get a, a little bit of a smaller version. It's a three, 360p version that ends up being a, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 megs, usually for a show that's about 60 minutes long. So we'll just go around the horn in the same order. Tell us where we can find you, and we'll wrap up. Eric? All right. On Twitter, you can find me at E. Langhorst, and I've been blogging since about 2005 at speakingofhistory.com. And I last March started to do a vlog called the History Geek Teacher, and um, you can find that at historygeekteacher.com. But I just put it up an episode last week on summer workshop opportunities for history teachers. Um, a lot of cool things that you could do in the summer of 2017. Awesome. Jason. I'm available on Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach, and I regularly blog on the Northwest Council for Computer Education Tech Savvy Teacher blog, which is blog.ncce.org. And I am W. Fryer on Twitter. My blog is speedofcreativity.org. And tomorrow we'll be doing an interview with one of our teachers flipping his classroom. One of my New Year's resolutions is to try and showcase one innovative teacher a week. And uh, that is going to be on at showcase.cassidy.org, which is a learning showcase site that I started and then totally faded after August of last year. And I'm going to resurrect from the dead this year. Ben. Well, I already introduced myself, but I'm Ben Wilkoff, B.H. Wilkoff on Twitter. Love to hang out and talk to anybody who might be in so inclined. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Until next time, be safe out there and keep keep tuning into the podcast. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.